May you know your monk's friends. And when you're amongst your friends, you are your most relaxed and you're at your most vulnerable and you're at your most joyful. <laughs> and may you just know those three things as you speak. Amen. 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 Thank you. I love that prayer. Good morning to all of you. I am overjoyed as El to be sharing with you this morning. And I believe the Father God has given me a message that is meaningful for all of you. No matter where you are currently, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, whether you are among those of us who soar like eagles, or whether you feel you're more stumbling along, or maybe you feel even stuck, totally stuck, I believe God has something for you this morning. And um, this message is for you if you have been a Christian for 100 years or if you have just started the journey or maybe you're at a stage in your life where you're figuring this God thing and this faith thing out and you're not sure what to believe. I believe there's something for you as well. For those of you who do not know me, uh, my name is Emmanuel Prince and I have the best job in the world. I'm a kingdom um, researcher, trainer, consultant. And so my job is as a researcher to go into places in the world where God is doing powerful things, where the church is exploding, where the kingdom is coming in power, and figure out what's happening with my teams. And as a, as a trainer and consultant, um, I have had the joy of going literally to dozens of countries and work with dozens of different denominations, churches, faith traditions. And I hope I bring a little bit of that richness um, into this morning as well. I will be talking about a topic that I have found in the dozens of denominations and faith transitions is not talked about much. My topic this morning is doubt. The topic um, for my message is, and now I have to press forward myself, thank you Tim, um, is the blessing of doubt. Tim, Tim, you help me out, okay, if I forget, if I'm so in the moment that I forget about this PowerPoint, this is wallpaper only in the background, okay? Um, the blessing of doubt, that is my topic this morning. I had no idea what doubt was, uh, committed my life to, to Jesus when I about, was about 17, and the first time came across doubt only at the age of 23. So I'd gone to a theological college and I was invited to a youth retreat of another church. And there was this young woman, I still remember the conversation and her face, Andrea, her name. And Andrea tells me, you know, I'm fascinated, fascinated by what you share. I grew up in an agnostic home. My parents didn't believe in anything. I have met Jesus. I know he's real. He has healed me from bulimia. But I have these massive doubts all the time. I ask myself very frequently, am I making this Jesus thing up? Is this real? Is this true? How about you? Have you ever had doubts like this? And I look at her and say, um... No, to be honest, not ever. I never had a single doubt that my faith is true. Unfortunately, I couldn't help Andrea much at that point. 
Fast forward in my life, 15 years later, I had been a missionary in the Sudan for almost 10 years. And out of the blue, doubt hit me like a, how do you say, truckload of, of bricks. So what had happened? I actually lost my faith. That's at least what it felt like. May sound shocking to you. I lost my, myself, being a full-time Christian missionary, entirely. So I had built up my, you know, the, the Lego or the, um, uh, you, you know, you build a house, you build a castle. That's how I had built my faith over the years. Once one belief after the other and was a nice building, but living in Sudan, I had one issue that I wrestled with, and that is human suffering. If you think you have seen human suffering come to Sudan, I believe you have seen only this much. People's life is hell on earth. You know, most of them don't have three meals a day. If someone in the family gets sick, they don't have the means to treat their child, so that they have to beg for the money in the neighborhood, and if the money is not enough, the child dies. Well, it could be that they live in a place where the next hospital is, they have to ride on a pickup truck for six hours, and it's too late to treat the child, even if they get the money. So their lives is literally, so we lived in the, in the middle of a civil war, with all the human tragedy that you're able to imagine. And every day I went to God and I said, God, how can you bear this? How can you let these people suffer? How do you deal with it? Because I can't. It's so hard. But something held my Lego castle together. And that was my belief that the kingdom was advancing. I believe that Christianity was expanding across the world and one people group after the other was, re was, um, was reached and wherever the gospel took root, there was betterment for human life. There was less suffering. There was more development. People's lives became better. That's what I believe. So I thought, this is hard, but you know, as we carry on a few more decades and, and the kingdom will have filled the world. Then I read one morning, I, I remember sitting on the bed, an article in a Christian missiological periodical. And the author contended two things. He said, we're not making any progress as Christians at all. First of all, let's face it, we're losing it on the home front. This was an American author, he was talking America. Might be true for the UK as well. We're shrinking here, and the huge numbers we see in Africa and Asia, the transformation is really minimal. We're not making an impact. And that article took one piece of my little Lego castle, and my faith building tumbled. What was I left with? So... My journey of faith, uh, let's go to the, to the word of God and talk about the blessing of doubt. Doubt, I have found, is integral to a mature faith. Doubt can be a blessing if we deal with it well. And my intention with this message morning, this morning is, is to start a conversation among us in River. Because I believe we will all benefit from it. We read now from John chapter 20. At the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and this is a story of a doubter. Uh, and I'm asking my son Daniel to read from verses 19 to 29. And as you listen, um, picture yourself as one of the disciples in the room and see what happens. Daniel. Right, so this is just after Jesus had died and all the disciples are huddled and scared. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven for them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld for them also. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he was a doubter. He said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you, Daniel. So there is Thomas. Oh, Tim, now I rely entirely on you <laughs> because this has fallen apart. Um, we, we stay here for a moment. So we have Thomas the disciple. Uh, I hope you were part of this story. And Thomas has less evidence than the other disciples for evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And Thomas's response is doubt. Very strongly doubt. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and I place my finger uh, into the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What a strong statement. I just doubt this. Um, you guys might have had, may have had the experience uh, with the resurrection. I didn't. Really, I need evidence for my faith and right now I don't have it. I need to touch it, I need to feel it, I need to meet with Jesus for real. Otherwise, I just can't help my doubts. There is Thomas in doubt. Now, eight days later, the disciples are gathered together and Jesus walks through the door. He literally walks through the door without opening it. And it says here, then he said to Thomas. So Jesus comes in and he greets everyone. He's aware, he sees every one of us this morning. He's aware of all the disciples. But his special attention is for the doubter. And he says, uh, peace be upon you. So the doubter has Jesus' special attention. I love this. I love this. Um, if, if this is you, if you are in a season of doubt, you can be assured you too have Jesus' special attention. And what is Jesus' message to the doubter? Some expect now that Jesus says, Oh Thomas, I can't believe it. You have been with me so long. You have experienced me in the past. How on earth can someone as mature as you still have doubts? 
Come on, get over it, please. No, that's not how Jesus deals with doubt. His words are simple. And of course, the, the, the gospel is a short account of what happened. John gives us the, the essence in a nutshell. His, his message is peace. You can have peace and no peace, even with your doubt and in your doubt. Peace is a blessing. So, Thomas, I want you to know, doubter, you are my blessed one. You have my blessing. Don't think because you're doubting that takes away any bit of my blessing that is on you. I bless you. We're good. Our relationship is good. My heart still reaches out to you with the same care and love as it used to. Receive it. My heart towards you is to give you peace, to give you shalom, to give you goodness. And then he walks to Jesus And it says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. It is exactly what Thomas had uttered in his doubts that he needed. If only I could touch and see the, the, his scar, the wounds of the nails. If I could only see it and touch it, then maybe I could believe again. And Jesus thinks, I will meet Thomas exactly where he needs me to meet him. I will help him. I've heard the outcry of his heart. So Jesus says, come here. I will give you the evidence you need. I will give you reasons that you can trust me. I want to meet you in your very doubt. I want to invite you to experience me in your doubt. Is that not surprising? Is that not amazing? Isn't Jesus stunningly kind? No rebuke, no reprimand. He just meets Thomas where he is. You know, our doubts don't surprise Jesus. They don't shock him. They don't scare him. So they shouldn't shock or scare us. Doubts are a frequent companion on our faith journey. And I have conversations about faith with people from all sorts of religions. And you know what? Christians have, have doubts. But followers of other religions have equally doubts. They will not easily admit it. They will only admit it to you once they feel they are safe with you. Muslims have massive doubts about the contradictions in the Quran. They don't know what to do with it. Um, agnostics have faith. They may be so certain. In fact, I, I tend to believe that agnosticism is nothing but doubt, right? Because we doubt everything. Um, atheists have, have doubts. It's part of every faith journey. Now Jesus says to Thomas here, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is, I, I, I for many years read this as a reprimand. You have only, you've believed me now only because you have seen me, which means the quality of your faith is second best. It's in deficit. Come on, Thomas. But no, Jesus asks a question. That's how the ESV translates it. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? When Jesus asks a question, he isn't after an answer. He invites us to self-reflection. 
So how does Jesus deal with doubt? He invites us to reflect on it. He says, Thomas, have a think. What happened? What, what has been going on in your heart? So when we face doubt, this is the way to deal with it, to reflect on it, not to suppress it, not to ignore it, but to honestly reflect on it. And then Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet not believed. And again, for many years, I misunderstood this. I thought Jesus says, truly blessed are only those who, who believe blindly. That is the real kind of faith. No, it's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, John writes this with the readers of the gospel in mind, with us in mind. And what Jesus is saying essentially is, those of you who have not seen Jesus with your physical eyes, blessed are you equally. The quality of your faith is not any less than the quality of the faith of the first 12 words. You can equally journey with Jesus even if you have never seen him with your physical eyes. Blessed are you. So, it's a journey. Um, and, oops, now I went back. Growth is a journey. Uh, I put these names up only for some of you I know are deep thinkers. I've had tons of conversations with friends about the faith journey. I've studied it. If you're interested in digging deeper, uh, you can Google these names and find YouTube videos. Basically, uh, it's, it's a multifaceted journey. We, we grow intellectually, we grow morally, we grow in our faith journey. Everything in life is a journey. And I will focus this morning briefly to introduce you to the stages of faith development as Brian McLaren, some of you may know the author, has put them together. So, um, four stages of faith development, and we will walk through them quickly and focus briefly on the transition. And we will find that doubt is the doorway into each new stage. And when you hear stage... Picture it as, as the rings of a tree. It is not a, you move from one to three, two to three, and in three you say, hey, I'm already in three. Are you still in two? It's not a race. It is you move on, you transcend your sp previous stage, but you still take things along that you incorporate in the next stage. So what are the four stages? Um, the first stage is simplicity. And uh, my, my symbol for this is, is the black and white boxes that you see here. All of us, during our childhood, we are trained to put everything in life into two containers. That's why we have a dualistic perception of reality. So, I, everything is either allowed or prohibited, right? There, it's about rules. Um, can I have this goodie? Is it allowed or prohibited? Can I pull my sister's hair? Is that allowed or prohibited? Everything is about allowed and prohibited. Everything is also about right and wrong, about facts. So as a child, uh, I grew up on the, on the River Rhine, and we went to another place, and I saw another river, and I insisted there was another Rhine, right? So as though as we pretend now there is this Thames that we have here, but in northern England there is another Thames. Is this right or wrong? So as children, we figure out facts. We also have the two containers of good and bad. Is lying okay? Is it good or is it bad? Is lying okay maybe if I'm not caught? Is that good or bad? 
That's what we figure out in our childhood. Does something make me sad or does something that I do and experience make me glad? Another container. So, and then we realize that with these two boxes, the big people don't always agree. Because there are some people say this is good and other good people say no, this is bad actually. So that as children or as adolescents leads to an us versus them mentality. We are right, the others are wrong. There is again good, bad. So it's our family in contrast to that other neighbor family, right? It is our church versus their church. It is Arsenal fans versus Chelsea fans. It is Marlovians versus Maidenheadians. It is, you name it, Christians versus atheists. It is we Protestants versus the Catholics. It is we Charismatics versus the Conservatives, right? Everything is a we, us, two camps. And that is the stage of black-white dualism where the, the predominant theme is, and that's why it's a stage of simplicity, there is simple trust, there is simple, it's, everything is black and white, everything is clear, and when things aren't entirely clear, then we have an authority that we can go to, and the authority will tell us what is right and wrong. So, some uh, stay in this stage all their lives. They never move on. I have some in my extended family who are in this faith stage still, even though they are 50, 60, 70. Everything is clear. There is a verse for everything in the Bible. Every ethical choice in life, there is some New Testament verse that, that gives the answer. But some of us move on to complexity, and many of us move on either during adolescence or early adulthood. So, um, Paul Darius is willing to share in a few words how he moved on, right? You're ready to share that with us? From, in your own faith journey, from simplicity to complexity. Yes, yeah, so I've only got like half a minute, so here we go. Um, so I just want to say, when I set up my business, uh, that was quite a long time ago, um, I just wanted to honor God um, in the way I acted, and I saw God as my provider, an encourager, a guide, and helping me to prosper and succeed. And I guess it was a simple causal relationship. You know, I'll honor God and tithe, and he'll sort everything out. And then, as you would expect, sort of doubts and questions arose, really, because um, things happened, like recessions, like when uh, clients don't pay you, like when uh, competitors with different sort of ethos and values um, seem to get away with murder and succeed as well. And then when colleagues seriously let you down and having to sort of handle that. So it led to me sort of really having to reappraise what I, what I believed and to wrestle these issues with God um, and to share my struggles with good friends, and you know who you are, um, to uh, give me wisdom and encouragement. But I think that these doubts and uncertainties forced me to embrace complexity. And I then found that faith is not about what God does for me, but how he journeys with me. Thank you, Paul. That illustrates, yeah. 
Paul illustrates what complexity is about. We figure out at some point that the black-white paradigm works for some situations in life, for some realities. There's only pregnant or not pregnant, right? There is no in-between. There's only dead or alive, murder or not murder. But for many situations, it's much more complex. So um, life is complex. Life has lots of options, uh, lots of convictions, lots of beliefs, lots of possibilities. I used to spend hours and hours discussing theology and the Bible with my friends to figure out what the right answer is, what the right doctrine is. But then I grew tired of it because I really wanted to change the world. And these discussions, I realized, they do not change the world. And that is what complexity also is about. It's about a pragmatism. We move away from wanting to find out right and wrong to say, oh, life needs to work somehow. I need to go somewhere. We figure out what we want from life and we figure out how we get it. We start a career. We start on the journey of success. We set goals for life and then life becomes a pursuit of goals. So life becomes complex and life becomes pragmatic. Now in stage one, everything was known we had an answer, or it was knowable. If I only studied hard enough in the Bible, I would find the answer eventually. If I only did as a, as a researcher enough experiments, eventually I would find the answer. In stage two, still everything is either learnable, I just have to take another course or read another book, or it is doable. I can do this. Um, I will succeed if I just put enough hard work to it. And again, many enter stage life and they, they remain in stage life for the rest of their lives. All they do is pursue goals. They have a life dream that they're after with all, all their might. And that's what they believe life is about. Pragmatic ways to success. Now, Paul, if you're ready, many then, or some mature beyond stage two. And uh, we had recently the joy of having a deep conversation with uh, Paul and Sarah, and Paul shared this with me. Can you share in a brief words, what was the trigger in you, what was what happened in your life that you moved on from stage two to the next stage, which is complexity? Yeah, so I've just, just a few words about the transition from complexity to perplexity. And what prompted this was the sudden death of our uh, eight-year-old son, Joshua. Um, when the cancer was diagnosed, um, I was really confident that God could and would heal him. I mean, after all, it would have been the talk of Marlowe and all for his glory. Um, but obviously, as you know, the sad position was that he died and we Sarah and I went into a long season of disappointment doubt and uncertainty and I guess the questions are is God all-knowing is he all-powerful is he ever-present is he miracle working is he a healer and in the darkness uh, for me God seemed powerless silent and absent and so my doubts forced me to reframe my beliefs. I had to learn to embrace mystery and unanswered questions. So I grew from not expecting God to do 
but rather a loving God who wanted to be. And then doubt has helped me experience God as a loving presence in all the uncertainties and mystery of life. I certainly don't have it all mapped out, but I do trust him. Thank you, Paul. This is an example of a faith that has matured in perplexity. Often people are triggered into perplexity by painful experiences, and life has its fair share of painful experiences. Disappointed hopes, shattered dreams, and suddenly the questions pounce. And what made sense yesterday doesn't make sense today anymore. There are more questions than answers often in life. And then we question authority. We, many are disappointed by leaders. So we, can't, we don't have an authority maybe in our lives anymore that, we, that has the ultimate answer for us. And then the pursuit of happiness. Many find that it does not give the happiness that we thought it would give me uh, once I have just reached the top of the ladder. So what else will give me a happiness in life? And suddenly the system, my Lego castle, that we constructed so carefully in the first half of life, we deconstruct it, either partially or possibly even entirely. So what is the consequence? It can lead to despair. What is life all about? It can lead to cynicism. Um, life is about minimizing pain and building as much uh, pleasure and comfort into it. That's all it is about. It can lead to nihilism. There is, absolute, there is no absolute in this world. Let's just in, enjoy the day because tomorrow we may be dead. Or we press through, to com uh, through perplexity and press through to something that is greater and more beautiful than what we have experienced so far And this is stage four called harmony. I can say only little because of time, but also because I've limited experience myself in harmony. But I can share with you what I've experienced. Um, there is not one right decision in life and all others are wrong. How about that other way to take it? There, is, there are decisions that are better and decisions that are worse. There is a lot of gray in life. It is not one black box and one white box. There is dark gray and light gray. And yes, there is also some white and some gray. But the lines, we're trying to figure it out. Um, there is a spectrum, maybe, often. More than just two boxes. And there is a lot of both and. What appears to be a contradiction to us at first glance, maybe it isn't. And that's why I love this symbol so much. Different colors. It's not all blue. Initially it was black and white, the world. Now the, the world is colorful. You see there are different shapes. And somehow they do not fit together, but in a way they do fit together. So the task of, of, of life in the stage of harmony is to learn to hold it all together, to embrace it together. I have to land here with my message this morning and summarize these four stages. Simplicity, we move on to complexity. Uh, if you're in simplicity, 
great. You don't have to feel bad. You, you have to go through it, uh, enjoy it to the full, learn its lessons, but know there is something deeper ahead of you. Comes complexity, after that perplexity, and at the end some reach harmony. So, practically at the end, how can doubt become a blessing in your life? A few brief prompters. Doubt is the gateway, the, the doorway from one stage to the other. So it nudges us forward in our faith development. Doubt shifts from a certitude in beliefs. I have my belief system and I'm so certain this is the truth, capital T, to a belief in a person. It's the person that gives me the safety and certainty that I need, not the belief system. It makes us turn to Jesus' kindness. Thomas experienced that morning or afternoon Jesus' kindness in a way that the other disciples in the room did not. So expect Jesus' kindness when you turn to him with your doubts. And it stirs wonder and worship. Because instead of trying to figure it all out, we stand there and say, God, you are greater. And I know you're here, as, as Paul just shared. Your loving, kind presence is with me. And I just worship you and I'm amazed how you hold this all together. Finally, what do I do when I doubt? I encourage you, don't suppress doubt. I need to learn these buttons better by, by uh, the next time I'm up front here. Don't suppress doubts. That's not what Thomas did. That's what is not helpful. Don't think this is just, you know, I have to put out my fiery, uh, this is a fiery, fiery uh, armor, um, sorry, the fiery arrow of the enemy, and I've just to, you know, my shield of faith down. Doubts are no threat to your faith. The only threat to your faith is dishonesty and pretense and ignoring it. Bring doubt to Jesus in the same way Thomas did it. Share doubts, I invite you with friends. And no, you're not alone in this journey. We, are, we all have a unique journey, but somehow we are all on a similar journey as well. And embrace doubts as integral to a mature faith. It's the immature faith that knows no doubts. If you face doubts, then it means your faith is in the process of maturing. And that way you can turn doubt into blessing. I invite us to practice this right away, hand over back to Paul, and share in small groups of three uh, to five, and Paul will share uh, with us how we do this. Brilliant. Thank you, Emmanuel. Oh, give him a hand. That was fantastic. Just, just, uh, 